I want to begin this morning by asking you to imagine that there's something you've waited for your whole life, something that you've trained about. It wasn't your occupation, but it's been your preoccupation, not only for you, but for your family your whole life long. For you see, you're a family of priests, and generation upon generation of generation, the rituals, the traditions, the patterns, the habits, the understanding of the rules and how everything has to go into its rightful place. That what's been entrusted to you is ushering people into the presence of the living God. And that the primary tool by which you as a priest get to do this is that there is this place called the temple. It is a place where heaven and earth collide with one another and seem to overlap with one another. It is the place that your ancestors have told you is the unique place where God's presence and glory resides. And so with all of that generational training and investment, as your years get on, you get close to the age of 30. Because you see, you're not allowed to actually truly be a priest until you get to your third decade. And that something cataclysmic happens. A disaster happens. And before your 30th birthday, you find yourself in this situation. That your city is overrun. That there are 10,000 of you that will be carted off over a thousand miles away. And while you're in captivity in a foreign land, your birthday comes. And this would have been the moment where it would have been your opportunity to do everything that you had hoped and dreamed that you would do with your life and for your people. And you can't. You're too far away. And the dream is gone. I don't bring this up in the hypothetical, hypothetical for you because this is actually a real story. This is the story of the person Ezekiel. It is the opening salvo of what happens in his life and into the prophetic book that is so named. And in the midst of this, I don't bring it up in the sense of to try to humanize it in the sense of, of course, Ezekiel had to experience vocational disappointment, for disappointment is a part of life. There are much bigger questions that are getting raised at this point. The questions are that this is something that God has done for his people, that it started with a promise to Abraham and that the descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and that God would make a people and a nation out of them and that God cherished them as his treasured possession so much that he rescued them out of 400 years of slavery and brought them back to the land that he had promised them and through all the different conflicts and the ups and the downs and the good kings and the bad kings and in all of that, no matter what, God seemed to be present with his people. They went before him in the ark of the covenant and now resided in the temple and now the temple is taken away. And the question for Ezekiel and the question for the people is, are the promises of God lost? 
And so in the opening of the book of Ezekiel, God gives him a vision. It's a vision that we're told out of a sandstorm of a throne that has wheels within wheels. And depending on where you're from and what culture you're a part of, if you're a part of this African tradition, this is how they pictured it. Or this tradition that was in Fiji of how they pictured it, we don't really know. The only thing that we do know is that there was a throne and that there wasn't just like one set of wheels, but it was like a gyroscope, wheels within wheels. Because you see, what God was telling Ezekiel in this very specific moment in time is that yes, you may be a long way away. And yes, you may think that all is lost. And yes, you may be really confused. But I am still on my throne And that throne goes all the way across all of those thousands of miles to wherever you are. There is a phrase I want to equip you with as you read the prophets in the Old Testament, which is some of the hardest reading you will do if you're going to study the Bible today. It is a phrase that has helped me. It is the phrase, judgment but not abandonment. Judgment, but not abandonment. Will you say that with me? Judgment, but not abandonment. Yes, the people received judgment. Yes, they were responsible for their sins. But even though they were in exile, God did not abandon them. It's actually interesting that we even call this the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is only called by his name twice in the entire book. Most of the time when God refers to or his name appears in the book, it is a title. It is the name Son of Man. It's actually curious to me that we don't call this the book of the Son of Man as opposed to the book of Ezekiel. Ninety-three times. This title will be significant and important because this is a title, a mantle that Jesus will pick up of the judgment that will fall on him to make sure that we know that God has not abandoned us. Now, I feel like I need to give you a little more background than normal because most of you probably don't spend a lot of time in the book of Ezekiel. So let me tell you a little bit about Ezekiel's context. Ezekiel was a priest at the beginning of his life and family who could no longer do the priestly duties because he is in a foreign land. And so he turns his attention and God's call on his life to be a prophet. And Ezekiel is a meticulous student of, student of dates. There are more date references in the book of Ezekiel than in any other Old Testament book. And the book of Ezekiel is held together by a very strange series of dreams, of visions. And the most famous of those visions we're going to look at this morning. And the most interesting qualification about that vision that we don't actually realize, which is the fourth vision, which is the vision of the valley of the dry bones, is the only one that doesn't bear a date. Famous Holocaust survivor Elie Wiesel said it this way, the valley of the dried bones bears no date because every generation 
needs to hear it in its own time. And so this morning, I want to invite you into a part of the Bible that we don't tend to read. And as you will, will you turn with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 37. We've provided Bibles for you to use if you didn't bring one with you. And I want to remind you of the series that we are in. It's called Quest. We're exploring God's story together. Don't give up in the prophets. If you've been reading along, keep reading with us. Listen to the podcast. We want to equip you. This is a part of the Bible where some people tend to give up. Don't do it. Hang in there. It's easier when you've got promise and freedom and home and kingdom and history and division. And now we find ourselves in this period that is known as exile. Where when they went to Egypt, they fell into slavery, not of anything that they had done. The people end up into exile because of their sin. And in the midst of exile, the thousands of miles away, when everything seems to be lost, God gives this vision to Ezekiel, starting in the first verse. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. And so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a a rattling sound, and the dry bones came together bone to bone, and I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Can you imagine if Steven Spielberg was doing this show? And then he said to them, said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy to the breath son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breath from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, we are cut off, and therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them, I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land, and you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. God takes Ezekiel by the hand and leads him to the edge 
of one of the most desolate and horrifying images that you could possibly imagine. That there's been this horrific scene that has taken place a long time ago and the vultures and the rodents have done their work and time has eroded to the point that there is nothing left in this arid valley but dirt and bones. Remember, Ezekiel's been trained as a priest and as a priest you were, you were un able to come into contact with anything that was dead or had been dead without becoming unclean. And yet God takes Ezekiel by the hand and walks him down into this valley of dried bones and looks at him and asks an absurd question. Son of man, can these bones live? The only rational answer is no. And what Ezekiel responds is, Sovereign Lord, only you could possibly know. Have you ever asked this question of yourself? Can this marriage live? Can this family live? Can this vocation live, this job? Can this community live? Can this political system live? Can our nation live? Sovereign Lord, only, only you know. And what the community is experiencing, if you will look at verse 11 with me, that the bones are the people of Israel. We don't have to interpret this dream because God interprets it for us, tells us. The bones are the people of Israel and there's three qualities to them. Dried up, hope is gone, and cut off. This is what they feel. This is what they are experiencing. And following up on this, the most absurd of questions, can these bones live, of which any rational person would say, no, 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 everything goes from life to death. It doesn't go the other way around. God says in verse 10, an absurd request to tell Ezekiel here to prophesy, to proclaim, to preach, to, to speak, to declare truth to the bones. Now friends, I'm a Presbyterian minister. I have preached to some dead congregations before. <laughs> but nothing like this. God, wait, you, you want me to preach, but you want me to preach to the most hopeless of situations. Yes, that's exactly what I want you to do. And so he does. And he proclaims to him. And then God 
tells him to not only proclaim to them, but to breathe on him. You might recall from the beginning in the book of Genesis that, that God fashions Adam and Eve and creates them, but they're not alive yet. And then he breathes into their nostrils and the spirit enters them. You might recall that Jesus in the upper room, when the disciples are afraid and Jesus, after the resurrection, enters into the room, he says, receive the Holy Spirit, and he breathes on them. And it tells us that I mean, in this very graphic way that sinews and synapses and tendons and flesh and all of this work backwards and all of a sudden everything comes together. Poet T.S. Eliot says that in, as according to this, it is like the birds and the grasshoppers and that as everything happens, life begins to chirp once again. And when he breathes on them, it is a vast army. In other words, he doesn't just give them life. He turns dry bones into a living army. Everybody experiences war differently in terms of when they're born and the generation. I was too young to know anything about the Vietnam War in terms of watching news or experiencing it. So the first war that I remember was the Persian Gulf War, uh, Operation Desert Storm. And I don't know about you, but in certain moments in history, whether it's you know the assassination of John F. Kennedy or when you heard the news of 9-11, but there are certain moments that you can remember. I remember standing on the tennis court when the Persian Gulf War broke out. And that my brain couldn't comprehend that, wait, we're at war? What? It was a very quick conflict that was followed up the next year by another very short operation. Do you remember that on the heels of Operation Desert Storm that there were countless number of Kurdish refugees up in the north like the image of this girl that is haunting as she stands on a trash pile in the camp. And that George Herbert Walker Bush as president commenced with an operation called Provide Comfort, what the Brits called Operation Haven to bring an army into a place where an army doesn't usually go. An army that is usually built for battle, that came into a moment of desolation for rescue. Son of man, can these bones live? Son of man, preach to these bones. Son of man, breathe into these bones. And when you do, it will raise a vast and mighty army. My friends, rescue is coming. Today is not only Father's Day, it's when we celebrate in this country Juneteenth, which is the celebration of the fact that there was a gap between the moment of the Emancipation Proclamation from the moment of that edict finding its way all the way to the actual freedom from slavery. 
And what you need to know is what we see in the vision of Ezekiel that has no date. I think there's a gap. That a vision and a declaration and a commission has been given to us and that God is turning rigor mortis into resurrection and that God is raising up an army and it is something that is still happening. My friends, we are still living in the gap between the proclamation and the down payment of Jesus Christ and the cross and the empty tomb and the infiltration of the new life and the new creation that is resurrection power. And the question is, do you have a vision for that kind of life? The Conwishers have gotten back from a wonderful family vacation, and yet when we returned from our family vacation, from a major trip for our family, going to Italy because our oldest daughter is graduating high school and going to college next year, go dogs. We come back to the house, and don't you know when you come home from a vacation, you have all of these incredible, like, good vibes, right? Like, you're just, you're so relaxed. And I noticed upstairs that, um, that a light bulb had gone out while we were gone, and um, it was one of the original incandescent bulbs that had come with the house, and I have a stash of LED bulbs that I keep in the basement, and so I went downstairs to the basement to go retrieve one of those LED bulbs. I stepped off of the bottom step, and when I stepped into the bottom of the basement, my foot went squish, and I was standing in about an inch of water. All of the vacation vibes <laughs> immediately just went away. And so we commenced in Operation Rescue. What could we save? What couldn't we save? What were the valuables that will need to be replaced? What are the things that can't be replaced? Can I show you something that we rescued from the basement? Here's a treasure. Danica was five years old. This is a picture of me. I have no idea why the five is on my pants. <laughs> but it's a good thing I've got a tie with short sleeves on and only one eye, one massive eyebrow. <laughs> but at least I'm smiling. And then this was a Father's Day project and here's the text of what she had written. They had interviewed her. This is what it says. I call him Papa and his name is Rich. He's tall, his arms can almost reach to the top of our ceiling. In the morning he gets up, gets his work clothes on, and goes to work very early in the morning. He likes to take us on Valentine's dates. He takes me and Ashby and not a lot mommy. <laughs> Once he took us to a fancy clothes store that had a, a restaurant, Nordstrom. He's really good at exercising. His job is to go to church and preach and tell everyone about God. For fun, he goes and has meetings with friends and talks about important things. <laughs> he reads stories at me for bed. He reads Harry Potter to himself. <laughs> he likes to watch golf on TV. I love him this much, arms spread out as 
much as she could. You can see why I wanted to rescue this from the basement, right? It's a treasure to me because it reminds me of what my five-year-old daughter thought of me. We're children of God. God has not abandoned you. And what you need to know is he's given you a vision for what he does and for who he is. That life isn't going to just work from life to death, but from death to life. That rigor mortis truly is going to turn into resurrection. And that God is raising up a peaceful army of his followers to continue his remarkable resurrection work in the world. A vision that has no date. It has no expiration. And so maybe you know what it's like to be going through exile. And maybe for you, you were the kind of person who is recognizing all that is dried up and lost and that you feel cut off. Maybe you know what it's like to be in the arid desert of a dead valley. And yet God has given you a vision. A vision that his throne will go anywhere will you go. That he has not forsaken you. And that he is raising up an army of his followers to provide comfort and haven and what we call at Peachtree restoration. Do you have a vision for that? As a child, can you see it? Let us pray. For all the training and waiting that we have done, O oh God, will you now renew our vision even in the midst of the disasters of our life? Help us to not experience the self-imposed abandonment of what we think you are like. And so help us and give us these absurd questions again. Yes, the bones can live. Yes, we can preach to the bones. Yes, breath can enter into us and life can become again. Help us, God, to live faithfully in the gap between emancipation proclamation and true freedom. And give us a vision like you gave to the Son of Man a long ago. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said.